welcome to my podcast. So we are in what the tech community, the tech media community calls Techtober because so many products launch around October every year. The iPhone 14 and 14 Pro just dropped last month, and this month the Pixel 7 drops, the Pixel 7 and the Pixel 7 Pro. And as it was last year, when I did my thing where I get a new phone every, basically after at the end of my billing cycle, and so just as it was last year, I got a new phone. <laughs> I haven't gotten it yet. I pre-ordered a new phone. I pre-ordered the Pixel 7 from this event. I guess I'm uh, giving you the punchline before the bit. But yeah, I, I got a new Pixel 7 this year using the justification that my son broke his Pixel over a year ago and I was waiting to pay that off before getting him a new phone. So instead of getting him a new phone, because he's an adult now, I have gotten myself a new phone, and he can have my Pixel 6, which is a fantastic phone. But what do we get this year? Well, the technology surrounding smartphones, as I said last year, is incredibly mature. So we're getting a product that is an iterative advance over last year's product, very much as it is with the iPhone at the iPhone event. They actually have some similar features. But Google's focus is on their AI on the Tensor unit on their Tensor system on a chip that powers their Google phones. Their big thing last year was that they, they were going their own way, separating from the rest of the non-Apple smartphone industry, and producing, or not producing, but designing their own system on a chip that they could support in more specific ways. Their focus was going to be on machine learning and AI, so that's where they went. When the Pixel 6 came out last year, it was the most impressive in machine learning and AI for language support. For other things, Apple had the most powerful AI uh, neural processing unit on the market on their silicon. And then shortly thereafter, as the next generation of everybody else's processors came out, they, they either leapfrogged Google or were right in the same area as far as how powerful their machine learning and neural processing uh, was or would be. So this year, Google has taken another leap there. But for the rest of the processor, for the Tensor, which is actually the most interesting thing here, there are other things where Google is catching up with the rest of the market. A super bright display, one that can ramp up to ridiculous levels in direct sunlight. The display on the Pixel 6 was not a bad display. It wasn't bad at all. Actually, it was pretty good but it didn't do that thing where it ramps up to ridiculous levels in direct sunlight that both Samsung's top-tier equipment and Apple's top-tier equipment does. So yes, this display will be more in line with what is out right now, and I think it probably at the top end of what these displays are going to do for brightness because there's no need for the display to go any brighter than what's offered now. For the Pixel 7, that's still 90 hertz as it was on the Pixel 6. For the Pixel 7 Pro, it's 120 hertz as it was on the Pixel 6 Pro. Uh, what you'll notice is that while this stands, for both of the regular iPhones, 14, the ones that launched this year, they're still at 60 frames per second for their displays. Not a fault, but it is interesting that the rest of the market gets dinged when they launch a phone 
with a standard 60 frames per second display, but Apple does not. And that's been commented on in many uh, areas. The low-end Pixel, or the affordable Pixel this year, the Pixel 6a that came out just a couple months ago, has a 60 frames per second display. And it got dinged really hard for that, for whatever reason. And that's not fair. But yes, I'm excited to see what comes of this. In Apple's announcement, for their iterative update, their A16 processor, which follows up last year's A15 processor, is iteratively more powerful than the A15 was, which was also iteratively more powerful than the A14 was. But Apple seems to be following the rest of the industry and just pushing more power through the cores that exist, making the chips run hotter. Their big advantage is that they just have a better designed chip. It's more power efficient, it's more powerful, and performance per watt. And that's true across all their hardware, for their computers, uh, and for their mobile devices, and for their watches. They all have better silicon. Apple has the best silicon in the industry. But they can't beat physics, so they're, they're doing what the rest of the industry is doing. So even though the, the fabrication process is shrinking for everyone, including Apple, the returns for that die shrink are not the same as you would imagine they would be. Who else did that this year? It wasn't even a, a die shrink. Well, maybe it was a die shrink. So Samsung and TSMC are the two big chip fab manufacturers. And Samsung's process was used for, as an example, for both the Tensor Generation 1 and the Snapdragon 8 Plus 1. I'm sorry, and for the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. And Samsung's process is not quite as tight as far as die shrink as TSMC's process, who makes all of Apple's chips. And so Samsung had chips that ran hot and were not very efficient. So, for example, for the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, which was 2022's uh, official system on a chip for most Qualcomm high-end devices, that ran hot. So it could push more power through the cores, but eventually it would throttle earlier than the the preceding chips, so it throttled faster than the Snapdragon 888 and the Snapdragon 865 or 870. And the same is true for Apple's Fab. The A16 will throttle faster, or the A16 runs hotter than the A15. It runs hotter than the A14. It all is what it is, but the march of technology goes on, and it and fits and starts. The more interesting announcement, but not for me, so I haven't researched it quite as much, is uh, that Apple announced alongside their regular uh, kit, their regular products, their iPhones, uh, a new Apple Watch, an Apple Watch Ultra, I think it's called, with uh, better battery life and more functionality. And at the same time this year, Google has launched a Pixel Watch, which is something that has been in the works for years. They bought Fitbit ahead of this manufacturing announcement. Like, was it last year, the year before they bought Fitbit, and have rolled Fitbit's health stuff into their watch, perhaps probably replacing Google Fit and their suite of services? It's a more mature service, and so that will be interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see what it does. I don't really need a, a smartwatch for health stuff. Like, I do, everybody really does, but I don't 
I don't care for a smartwatch for health stuff, but some of the other things are intriguing to me. I just don't need them. I've had a smartwatch before, and it did everything I needed it to do, and I got used to it being there, but I always knew it wasn't a necessary piece of technology, and that still holds true. I don't need a smartwatch, and I truly believe that the Pixel Watch is way too expensive. It launched as a way too expensive device. Like, they want to compete on the high level coming out of the gate because they already have a pre-existing product for the name, a pre-existing expectation of quality for the Pixel name, but not enough people know the Pixel name for them to launch this expensive smartwatch out of the gate. They should have launched a reasonable Pixel Watch this year, and then off the goodwill and cachet of that, they could have uh, next year launched the more expensive one. I think that Google is thinking that because they have all the Fitbit watches that have smartwatch capabilities, and that's part of that product line, that they have that end of the product line covered. But Fitbit is a name that's known in that space. Google, with their Pixel, not so much. So even though it's all Google, I feel like maybe it would have been a better move to name the watch the Fitbit Pixel, something like that to associate it with an already known brand that's already associated with that part of the market. We'll see. It'll be interesting. I'm curious to see it in action. Like, I don't have a, uh, a need for a smartwatch, as I said, but I do have a, a buddy that I work with who loves smartwatches, and I think that he will probably invest in the Pixel Watch, so I'll get to take a look at it at least. So I'm excited to see that. What else came out? They had some new earbuds came out, come out. Uh, the new earbuds, along with the the Pixel 7 and Pixel 7 Pro, support 3D audio, something that Apple started supporting last year. And I don't know if Samsung supports or not, but they probably do. They, they're usually on the cutting edge of that kind of technology. So that should be interesting. The Tensor Generation 2, as I said, is very similar to the Tensor Generation 1. Or maybe I didn't. I went on that rant about uh, the A16, and maybe I got lost in that process. So the Tensor Generation 1, plenty fast, not as fast as any of the high-end competition when it was launched. But it does some things where it always keeps a very steady performance. It, it, it's made last year, what was the, the buzzword, homogenous computing, where uh, everything, the performance is always stable, it's always steady. And that has proven to be true. The Pixel 6 has rock-solid performance. It is, is almost as smooth in usage as an iPhone. And it always has been. Uh, Samsung has gotten very close, even with their, their heavy skin that has changed to be, I guess, less heavy over time, but not quite as smooth as the Pixel experience. And I think that maybe OnePlus's experience is about that quick, but I have not really used a OnePlus device on the regular, so I would not be in a position to say that categorically. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good experience, and I've found that none of the issues for Pixel or Tensor Generation 1 that other people have talked about are really issues to me. Like, it doesn't run terribly hot. I believe that that's because I have 5G turned off. I've been saying that for the last year. Turn off 5G, it's not worth it. The rest of the smartphone industry is using Qualcomm's modems for their smartphones. Qualcomm's modems are badass because they kind of own that technology. The Tensor uses Samsung's modem, and Samsung's modem is not awesome. It's okay. It's gotten better over the course of time. It works much better than it did at launch. It's respectable. I actually uh, am having a good time with it now, but I'm hoping that at launch, Samsung's new modem, because the Tensor Generation 2 is getting Samsung's new modem, will be much better than last year's modem. 
that's actually the big thing. Much better modem. Another big thing for me is a selfie cam that does 4K. Not a huge deal for stuff that I wanted. If I want to put myself on, on camera and do a selfie video, I have a little selfie mirror on the back of one of my phone cases so I can line up the shot and still get a really nice 4K image. But the convenience of having a 4K selfie cam would be pretty sweet and would also bring me in line with the, the rest of the uh, the high-end market. I didn't get the Pro, so I don't get the physical zoom. Uh, the Pro has a 5 times physical zoom this year and a 30 times digital zoom. But the regular Pixel 7 has new zoom functionality with its Super Res zoom taking a uh, new form where the sensor, the 50 megapixel sensor, has bend pixels so that each four pi- each uh, set of four pixels, I believe, act like one big pixel. And so the actual resolution of a uh, an image is 12.5 megapixels, but with functionally big pixels. Uh, but that was fixed last year. It could only take that 12.5 megapixel image. This year, they've rejiggered it so that it's uh, the Pixel 7 is doing the same thing that Apple is doing this year, where that big 50 megapixel sensor, in Apple's case, 48 megapixels, I don't think they're hugely different, but the actual center 12 pixels, those those bend pixels are no longer fixed for that, that center 12 so that you can get a 12 megapixel image off of the individual pixels for a functional two-time zoom that still creates an actual 12 megapixel image. So you're getting something that is still a physical zoom on a single sensor, and I'm sure it works fantastic in daytime lighting. In low light, it's probably not as good as a physical two-time zoom, but uh, in daylight, I'm sure it, it probably is as good as a physical two-time zoom. So that's exciting to have. I think that'll be very nifty. There's some increased AI functionality for speech recognition and phone call stuff that uh, I think this year they said that the the voice-to-text can uh, suggest emojis if you ask for an emoji in a given situation. That seems like a feature that could be easily brought downstream to the Pixel 6s. So that's not really a huge thing. We'll have to see. There are some other features that were announced there, but they're all iterative. Nothing is mind-blowingly different. Uh, for the Pixel 6, like I said, it's got that front-facing 4K camera now, where it didn't before. Or it's got a front-facing camera that is uh, like 10.1 megapixels versus 8, just big enough to do 4K image. And actually, 8 is big enough to do a 4K image. Uh, I think 4K is like 8.3, so it's right on the cusp. But camera sensors for videography, uh, modern videography, need to have some wiggle room so they can crop in to do dynamic uh, digital stabilization. And you can't do that if your sensor is straight 4K. So that's probably why you would want a sensor that's just a little bit bigger. Uh, That should be interesting. That should be fun. With this new Pixel, of course, it'll support the same things that last year's Pixel did, which is uh, five years of security patches, three years of virgin updates. They got to get those numbers up. The five years of security patches, that's good. The three years of version updates, not quite as good. And, and I'm sure the rationale is that nobody's going to keep these phones more than three years, except for super cheapskates or hardcore enthusiasts that keep them around as secondary phones. But with Samsung doing four years of version updates and five years of security updates, I think 
that Google can do that, especially with their own silicon, because that was one of the reasons that they developed their own chip so they could support it more thoroughly, because Qualcomm was the one... Huh, I don't know what that was. Because Qualcomm was the one who supposedly didn't support firmware for their chips past a certain date, past three years. And so with Google releasing their own silicon, they could support it as long as they wanted to, but still three years. Five-year security patches. Sure, that's fair, I guess. Not really. If you want to be competitive, you got to be competitive. Uh, Samsung's doing the same thing with Qualcomm chipsets. And with their own chipsets internationally, but with Qualcomm chipsets, Samsung is doing the, the same thing. So I think that Google needs to step up their game there. But yeah, I'm excited to see what comes of this. It's not about competition anymore. If you get a good phone, any good phone, then you're going to be satisfied. You're going to have a good time. Your experience is going to be mostly flawless. Uh, not 100%. Uh, Everybody launches their hardware in beta, and nobody does it harder than Google. Google launches their hardware in hardcore beta, but hopefully they took some lessons from last year because they really took a drubbing from launching hardware that was so, so much in beta. Uh, We'll see what comes of this, but I'm excited to see what the year brings as far as uh, these advancements. And of course, just general camera stuff. I enjoy videography, I enjoy photography, which is why I invest in Pixel. So we'll see what the future brings. What else? Uh, Oh, the tablet. The other big announcement was that Google is dropping back into the tablet game, not with a Chromecast or a Chrome tablet, but with uh, an Android tablet, which would make sense because, uh, what was it, 12L? Their last branch of Android was made to support tablets. And so with that in mind, they probably made that knowing that they were trying to release a tablet in the near future. So even with them being all-in on Chrome as a platform, it's interesting to see them do this. This should make Chrome better because Chrome supports those Android apps, but they run, a lot of them run like phone apps. So this should help with all of that as well. So it should be an exciting rest of the year. I'm excited to see what the tech press does with comparison, showing off what these things can do. I'm excited to be able to play Genshin Impact at you know, 50 frames per second or whatever. I'm not actually. It's too big a game. I would never download that and install it on my phone. But I'm glad it's an option. And I think... Oh, good. I think that's got us. We'll be back soon. I actually am probably going to record right after this another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. It's been too long, and my co-host is very busy, but there's a format on Smack My Pitch Up called the shortlist where we pitch original ideas and i think i may sit down and pitch an original idea to be released as a shortlist episode so uh listen to me here or listen to me over there on smack my pitch up and hopefully we'll talk to you soon thanks for listening